Thanks. Thanks for coming. I've never been here before, but I absolutely approve of a Christian talk in a high-end espresso shop. <laughs> and I arrived too late to be able to get an espresso, but bad luck to people who are on Zoom, but hopefully you have decent coffee somewhere near you as well for that. Um, I'll start with the stupid poem. Better not to be dogmatic. No one likes a crazed fanatic. Certainty can get you killed. Certainty is the cause of wars. Plus crusaders tend to be such bores. All the peaceful guys are chilled. Good and evil, where's the line? I can't see it all the time. Moral certainties for fools. Can't we all just bend the rules? Saying no one's right or wrong. Maybe, baby, maybe, baby, is the chorus of the wise agnostic song. I vote Tory, she votes Green. Better not be over keen. I love Man U, she loves Spurs. I've got my truth. She's got hers. Can't we all just get along? Maybe, baby, maybe, baby, is the chorus of the wise agnostic song. Wary of too much precision, celebrating indecision, saying neither yes or no, I'm content, content with, I don't know. And um, that's my attempt at a, a rubbish poem on agnosticism. I'd love it to be a song. So if you are a guitarist or an indie singer, let me know and you can set it to music. But um, I think it's just where people are, isn't it? I, I don't know. I, I'm on the fence. I haven't decided. I, the attraction of agnosticism is it just sounds very humble. I'm not saying anyone's got it 100% right. I'm not saying anyone's 100% wrong. You know, maybe. I'm open-minded. Um, uh, it also sounds peaceable. As I said in that poem, you know, religion's the cause of wars, isn't it? People who are too sure about something end up getting in a war with somebody else who's too sure about it. If only we could just be peaceably indifferent. I don't know whether that would apply to this morning's news of Ukraine. I don't know whether agnosticism would stop Putin, but at least it looks peaceable and attractive and humble and increasingly popular. And there's, there's some household name agnostics so whether you're a philosopher and you like the likes of uh, Noam Chomsky or you watch the Simpsons and you like Matt Groenig or you like the Titanic movie because you're of my generation and you like Leonardo DiCaprio but you just find agnostics everywhere um, John Humphreys most explicit writing about it John Humphreys the broadcaster who hosted the Today program for so many years published his book um, 10 years or so ago In God We Doubt I'm just, I'm just not sure. So um, th that's where most people are. And um, the question is, what, as a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm trying to challenge that. Where do I challenge you if you're unsure? And I want to start by saying there's different reasons why people are unsure, different reasons why people are agnostic. By the way, I guess you probably know what the word means, otherwise you wouldn't have come to this talk. But agnostic just means I don't know. So the Greek word gnosis means knowledge and you put an A in front of something in Greek and it means not. So if something's asymmetrical, it means it's not symmetrical. Um, if you don't like bagpipes, you could call yourself a-Scottish. Um, agnostic is the opposite of gnostic. It's a, I don't know. It just means I don't know. But people don't know in different ways and for different reasons. So some people don't know just because they haven't looked into something. So I could say, for example, I'm agnostic about the neurological basis for ventriloquism can your eyes perception of where a sound comes from influence the auditory processing of where you locate that sound and that was kind of related to the area of my phd 
which Joe alluded to, I spent, it sounds glamorous, but basically I spent three years of my life in a soundproof room listening to about 100,000 clicks. So that was the actual harsh reality of science. But I was doing it in the name of trying to understand um, the auditory processes behind location, localization of sound. And, you know, does what you see with your eyes influence where your brain thinks something comes from? How does ventriloquism work? I'm agnostic about it because I stopped my research in it in the year 2000. And I could have done more research or I could have read what other people have researched, which I haven't done. So I'm agnostic just because I haven't looked into it. But it would be possible probably to know. And I guess eventually science will know. And maybe I will know if I read the science. I just haven't done the research. Um, or um, a friend of mine, John, he says he's agnostic, or that my co-author said he's agnostic about how many helium balloons it would take to send Aileen, his wife, into the atmosphere. Um, you know, it's fairly simple to find out. You just try one on, try two on, and keep going until she lifts off. Aileen is scared of heights. It didn't seem particularly kind to find out. So you can be agnostic because something is knowable, but you yourself don't know it. And lots of people are agnostic about Jesus in that sense. You know, they don't know because they've just never looked, really. And that was certainly true of me. I mean, I, I'd, I've made up my mind about Jesus on the basis of some sermons I didn't listen to because I was in the church choir and the vicar was boring. Some RE lessons I didn't respect because the RE teacher, I mean, I was into science and RE was not interesting. And some Channel 4 documentaries. That was all the research I'd done. I'd never actually looked at Jesus you know, at the available source documents. And if you're agnostic in that, I just don't know because I haven't checked, I would say, why don't you just begin with one of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible? Um, and I don't say because it's in the Bible. I mean, it's in the Bible because it's an eyewitness document. So the, the people compiling the Bible, when it became possible to put lots of different documents into a book, books only invented in about the third or fourth century someone said oh well why don't we collect together all of the relevant source documents about Jesus and there's basically four biographies of Jesus Matthew Mark Luke and John um, choose anyone you like why not read who he actually was according to those who knew him you can read it skeptically I'm not saying throw your brain away and read a bible read a bible curiously but just say at least let me read what the people who were around at the time thought of him biggest starting point so people who don't know because they haven't checked. Um, other people, though, are shaking their heads at this point because they're more sort of committed to agnosticism as a philosophical conviction. So they're not saying, I just haven't looked into it. They're saying, no, no, I am saying you cannot know whether there's a God. But wait a minute, because there's an awkward irony here. When you probe it a bit, they're, they're kind of saying, I know that you don't know or that you can't know. And I want to say, how do you know that you know that you can't know? Or what makes you so sure that you can't be sure? Because this agnostic, they're actually, ironically, not very agnostic about their own position. They're saying something quite dogmatic. You know, it's not possible to know whether there's a God. You sound very sure about that. And when you think about it for a minute, to say, I know there's no evidence for God, is quite a strong claim. It's like saying, I know that there is no treasure hidden in Leicestershire. I mean, how could you know that? You'd, you'd have to have dug everywhere. What if there was a gold ingot underneath an inconspicuous cabbage field or a diamond necklace hidden inside the detergent bottle in an address that the police haven't raided yet? 
I mean, let's face it, the University of Leicester archaeological services, who do a lot more digging than most of us, didn't even know until recently that the remains of King Richard III were under the local car park. You know, to say that you're sure that something doesn't exist requires actually complete knowledge of everything. And none of us have that. Uh, you can't be sure that you can't be sure unless you know everything in the universe. And you don't know that. So I, I think that's a sort of silly position. I hate there's no, no one asserting that today. Um, if you are worried about something like um, if you're a mathematician or a physicist and you're wondering about um, Gödel's theorem in Boolean algebra or Heidelberg's uncertainty um, principle, then you'll also know that that doesn't really apply to this question. And if the only Heisenberg that you've heard of is the badass anti-hero from the Netflix series about crystal meth, then you don't need to worry about it either. Um, you can ask questions about that afterwards if you want. But um, I don't think so. I haven't looked into it. I can't know. Silly position. Actually, for most people, I think it's, I just don't want to know. That's the issue. Um, I'd just rather you left me alone, Christian friend. You know, and if, if you've got one, and I, I don't know any of you here, if you're here because a Christian friend has dragged you, then thank you for humoring him or her. But maybe agnosticism is just a kind of refuge for you from being disturbed by something that you fear might wreck your life. That was certainly my fear. At university, I started looking into Jesus a bit because I had some Christian friends. I found it much more convincing than I expected. I'll tell you, I, there, was, there was a lot more to it than I imagined would be. And then I started getting nervous because I thought, I just don't really want this in my life. You know, Christianity, if it had a colour, it would be grey. If you could sum up the Christian ethic in a word, it would be don't. If you can imagine Christian party, it would be stocked with slur, which one of my friends defines as Christian champagne. I just don't really want that. that, yeah, that that's the kind of stereotype, isn't it, about uh, religious people. It's why the British Humanist Society some years ago, um, they uh, paid £100,000 to have that advert on the side of London buses saying there's probably no God. So stop worrying and enjoy life. Implication being, if there is a God, he will stop you enjoying life. So get on with it without him. And, and I think that is actually fake news. I don't think that's true to the Christian message as a Christian. One of my friends described his surprise at reading of Jesus' first miracle, where he, at a wedding, Jesus turned water into wine. He said he found this very surprising. And it wasn't the scientific impossibility of that that surprised him i mean you know you can't normally do h2h or c2h 5oh plus all the flavanols and catechins and tannins and and so on i mean that can't be done in a lab but you know if he's god then he could probably do some party tricks now the surprise was that jesus wasn't instead going around the world turning all the wine into water as if god wants to stop every party because he's just fearful that someone might be having fun. And yet here's Jesus uh, turning up and making the party go a lot better. And that is, doesn't fit our stereotype. of. So may, maybe it's that you've got Jesus at arm's length because you just don't want to know. And I think there, if that's you, then the challenge isn't so much, is this true? But is this any good? You know, is this going to wreck my life? Or is there something good here? And unless you're persuaded that there's something good here, you're going to continue to keep it at arm's length so that's my challenge today I'm, I'm going to try and inform people who aren't sure but also persuade you that there's something good here and uh, at the end if we've got time I'm going to say there's something a little bit dangerous about um, neglecting it as well 
I'll keep you my on the clock. I've got about nine minutes to do that. So let's let's try. I want I want to read you a little bit from um the, from the Bible. This is from a, a paragraph taken from John's first letter. John is um one of the biographers of Jesus. He writes this full um, full length biography of Jesus called John's Gospel. But this is actually taken from John's letter. So it's one of Jesus' friends writing to some other Christians in the first century, translated into English, originally in Greek, but now in English for our benefit. So um. If you're a Christian, uh, you know where it is, 1 John. If you haven't looked at the Bible before, it's on page 1021. Um, otherwise, just listen and I'll read it. Page 1021, 1 John, it's called. A letter by Jesus' friend to some other Christians. He says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things to wreck your life. No, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, I think this is an extraordinary paragraph. It's only just one paragraph. I want to, it's going to take us all of the next nine minutes to, to explore it. It's an extraordinary paragraph because it's about two different things that never get combined in literature. So firstly, it's about philosophy. There's a lot of literature about philosophy. I mean, I, I'm a fan of modern art galleries. And um, I love, love the White Cube in Bermondsey, if you've ever been there, or um, probably the, the White Cube in St. James Park is quite near here, I guess. And yeah, I, I love going to them. But in modern art galleries, people are wrestling with big questions like what is a human being? What is life? What is time? Um, there's the, the massive questions of the world. I, I went recently to the White Cube and they had a, a series of 450 paintings by the German artist Peter Dreyer, who for the last 30 years, has painted an empty glass of water, the same glass of water he paints once a day for about 30 years. And they had all, I mean, not all of them, but 450 of them on the wall. So you're looking at 450 near identical pictures, amazingly intricate pictures of a glass of water. And people sort of scoff at that and they get old modern art. I thought it was actually fascinating, the sort of discipline of it. And he was just focused on the slight variations of the light came in the window at a different angle on that day because it was cloudy. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. But then you read about it and it says, oh, this is a meditation on the, on the passing of time. And it's all about these big philosophical questions. That isn't unusual to the Bible. Everyone is asking big questions. This paragraph is talking about big questions. You know, what is the nature of life? What is the nature of the origins of the universe, the beginnings, about those things? That, that's kind of normal. Another kind of normal literature is a Facebook post in which my stepbrother Thomas said that he went to the Stag and Lantern microbrewery in Hyams Park for a pint. And um, he lives in Hyams Park, just on the Victoria Line near Walthamstow. Um, he likes craft beer. Apparently, the Stag and Lantern is very good. And that, that's kind of normal. People writing about what happened in their day. Maybe, maybe you're going to put on Facebook, went to a talk with a bald bloke talking about agnosticism. Who knows? Had some soup or some good coffee. Um, but the, the amazing thing about this paragraph is it's about both of those kind of literature in the same paragraph. It's, it's philosophical questions. What is life? And it's 
this is what happened to me today. You, you would never say, oh, you never guess who I met in the micropub yesterday. Uh, the beginning of the universe walked in. You, you wouldn't say that, would you? But that is what this paragraph, did you notice that's what this paragraph does? That which was from the beginning, origins of everything, which we've heard, seen, looked upon, touched. The life, you know, the essence of life was made manifest. We testify, we're telling you about what we've seen, what we've seen and heard. We've... Now, of course, Johnny's talking about his friend Jesus. And of course, you know, he saw and heard Jesus, just like you have seen and heard me. You know, he's a, a normal person that he met, that he spent time with, that he went on fishing trips with, that he traveled around Israel with. He knew Jesus well, except that he concludes that this person he knows well is actually life. He is the essence of life, the source of life. He is the beginning, the creator of everything. Now, this is a, a real game changer, I think, for the agnostic, because if these are just questions of philosophy, you know, we can pontificate endlessly about the nature of human existence. Um, about the where we came from but you can be a lot more sure about somebody that you met you know did you meet a bald bloke at lunchtime he's about six foot two yeah i mean you're not you say, oh i'm not sure like you're, you're totally sure right you're not agnostic about it because because encounters are very concrete things but for john his concrete encounters over three years with jesus make him certain about these philosophical questions. So philosophy is a person. These answers are, are an encounter with a real person. And of course, about that, you can be very sure. Think of a moment there, you think, what would convince you that your mate, that you knew really well, was the creator of the universe? I mean, that isn't a conclusion you come to quickly. And maybe if, you, you know, if John was a Rastafarian or something, you'd go, well, yeah, maybe, He's been smoking something he shouldn't do. But John is a, a Jewish believer. He believes there's one God. He's the creator of everything. He's incredibly different from human beings. And then he concludes, I think my mate Jesus, I think he's God. But I'm sure he's God. I mean, what would it take? And I just want to make you curious at this point, because I want you to look into it. What would it take to, make, to convince you that your friend made the universe i'm guessing that already by now i've been speaking for about how long um about sort of uh, 15 minutes um you're already convinced that i'm not god correct and that none of you is even remotely considering the possibility that i might be divine um you know i rushed in almost late looked flustered have such a have done no miracles um, as one of my friends unkindly says sometimes i fail to complete even basic tasks you know but John is three years with Jesus and then concludes his God. What convinced him? Surely at least that's worth asking, isn't it? And he was convinced enough to be persecuted for his faith in Jesus at a time when religion didn't make you rich or powerful. You know, what, can, what persuaded him to do this, to give his life for Jesus? To, and you start discovering well, it's the things that he saw and heard and touched. Because Jesus was doing some very, very unusual things like going to a wedding where they had no wine and getting some water and turning it into wine. And John goes, that isn't normal. And um, going on a, um, on a boat trip and Jesus isn't even in the boat and he just walks next to the boat on the water. And John goes, no, gravity doesn't really allow that ordinarily. 
or meeting a man who's blind from birth and opening the man's eyes miraculously, or going to a, a funeral of a man who's been dead for four days and raising them from the dead. Now, you might sort of dismiss it, oh, no, it didn't happen. Um, well, maybe, but then you've just assumed your, ironically, your very, a very dogmatic presupposition of atheism. Um, that, that isn't agnosticism, that's dogmatism. That's saying, I know that there's not a God who could do miracles, and therefore I don't believe in miracles. It's kind of circular thinking. Be, be a bit more agnostic, be a bit more open-minded. Okay? I wonder whether there could be a God who could do miracles. Look at the evidence. Was there a miracle? John thinks there was, and it convinced him that he'd met life. Uh, when he says that which we've looked upon and our hands have touched, I think that's an allusion to an episode in John's Gospel where it's at the end of um, the book where Jesus has been crucified by the Romans, and then three days later, the tomb's empty. And people start saying that they've seen Jesus alive. And Thomas, he's often known as Doubting Thomas, they, for the purpose of today's talk, I'm going to call him Agnostic Thomas, says, I can't believe that. You know, I can't believe that someone who's dead is now alive again, unless I were to put my hand in the marks of the, um, the nails where they crucified him and examine with my own fingers the, the side where they speared him. Uh, I'd need that kind of evidence. It's actually very good evidence, isn't it? Because if you touch somebody, you can tell whether they're alive, usually. Um, but also, by touching the execution marks, John can be sure that the person who's alive is the same as the person that they killed. So it's a really good verification of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And John says, I'd need to do that to be sure. Um, and famously, Jesus appears to Thomas and says, check, by all means, check. Um, if, you, if you're into art, as I say I am, look up Caravaggio's painting, The Incredulity of St. Thomas. It's an amazing painting of this moment. It's quite gory, I should warn you. But it's not like a sort of Jesus with a halo floating. It's Jesus with wounds that Thomas is jabbing his fingers into check. And at that point, Thomas is sure he stopped being agnostic. And I think so would you be. That is a rational response. If you can actually check the dead person is alive again, no wonder you concluded, I've met life. I've met the one who is life. I mean, this is strong evidence. This I'm, I'm sure about this, says John. He's sure. And he's also happy. Did you notice at the end of the paragraph, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete because it turns out that knowing life isn't a drag it doesn't suck out all the joy of the, out of the room it's actually he's met the person he's the source of life and goodness and truth and, and he's very excited about it um, and i think you'll find that if you meet a true christian and um, he knows the lord jesus that he is a source of joy and life and hope and and I hope that you'll see that. I hope that will be evident to you, that a Christian isn't someone whose life's been destroyed by Jesus, but in fact, quite the opposite. It's true and it's good. And then very finally, I've got two minutes left. Um, not only is being unsure sort of missing out on something good, it's actually also quite dangerous. Let me just read the one more, couple more sentences. John goes on. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. That's a, it's a very short, but a very striking summary of the Christian mm. message that in other words, God is not a mixture 
of light and darkness as we are you know light in the bible it stands for um what is good what is true what is you know it's like we kind of get the same metaphor bring it out into the open let it be plain to see in, in in the daylight and god is like that he's everything is plain to see nothing is hidden nothing is murky nothing is shadowy or shady god is good and he's true and we're not like that i'm sometimes good oh i'm doing a talk in a common garden telling people about jesus well done me and then on the tube on the way home i'll be irritated with somebody for getting in my way and be short-tempered i'm a mixture of good and bad and i'm i think i'm telling the truth now there'll be there'll be other times in my life this week probably i'll be tempted to lie but god is unmixed he's only good he's only light and that is a problem if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. If we, have, we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what unrighteousness and basically what it's saying here is that we've got a problem and we can't just pretend things are okay the god who made me is good and light and i am a mixture of light and darkness and i can't pretend that's okay if i claim to be god's friend while i walk in the darkness i'm a liar says jesus and what we need desperately is forgiveness and cleansing and i need to be sorted out on the inside by jesus and i want to say if jesus is right about that if that's true then agnosticism is not safe agnosticism is saying i think i'll be fine and jesus is saying you will not be fine you need to be cleansed and forgiven and the best analogy i can give on it is if you went to the doctor and you said i'm um, how am i doctor and they said i'm afraid it's very serious news you know you've got cancer and you need chemo immediately and you know it may be that with the chemo and some radiotherapy offers you may recover but you must get in, um, you know, immediate um drug treatment and then and then surgery and um you think about it you go oh, i'm not sure i think of that doctor because that's uncomfortable news i don't really like that news and you go and ask somebody else for a second opinion how do i look you go they look you look fine you look great oh thanks i feel great actually and at this point, you've got a choice, right? Do I listen to the doctor whose advice was scary or do I listen to my friend who flattered me? Or am I agnostic? Oh, I'll be agnostic. I'll sit on the fence. I'll, I'll, I'll suspend judgment. And as you suspend judgment, you miss the appointment at the pharmacist. You don't start the chemo. You don't go to the hospital. Now, I'm not rejecting the doctor. I just haven't decided about the doctor. But of course, with the passage of time, it's it's really the same as rejecting the doctor. And if the doctor was right and you're in trouble, this is a very dangerous thing to do. And so I want to say, if you're agnostic, you don't need to be because the truth is a person and you can be sure. There's real evidence. There's real, there's the things that persuaded John himself. Why don't you at least start with that and say, what persuaded you, John? Read his biography and find out. Um, you shouldn't want to be agnostic because you're missing out on something brilliant. You know, the, the, the one he turns water into wine. And maybe it's dangerous to be agnostic if by sitting on the fence you're suspending judgment about very urgent things.